Welcome to the Slog Pod. In this podcast, we embark on a journey to explore the intricate relationship between our work environments and mental health. I'm Dustin, bringing a unique perspective from my experience across diverse industries. As a licensed clinical social worker and therapist with an MBA, I've witnessed the intersection of mental health in the workplace. I provided individual and group therapy engaging with groups of professionals, employees, leaders, and managers across many industries who have encountered not just individual mental health difficulties, but also problematic social interactions that are often initiated by an underlying corporate culture and not merely the individual. And I'm TJ. I'm here to offer insights from my experience as a leader, mentor, and employee. I've held jobs in hospitality, the military, finance, government, and mental health. I hold a master's degree in strategic communication, and my perspectives have been shaped through a life observing the often awkward and harmful interactions common across so many industries. Together, our goal is to holistically address leadership, management, and individual mental health in the workplace. We believe the essence of organizational culture lies in the daily social interactions that have a profound effect on our mental health. Rather than pointing to an individual as a problem, we hope to ask questions and analyze situations common in all workplaces to gain a greater understanding of the problem. Our interest is not just to improve our individual mental health at our jobs, but also, and maybe most importantly, find greater health as a society. So let's start with a page from Simon Sinek and ask why. Why should we delve into our workplace lives and strive to improve our mental health? Here's just a few reasons. One, time spent. We invest a significant chunk of our waking hours at work, influencing our thoughts and interactions beyond the office. Simply the sheer fact that most of us engage in work for more than eight hours a day, five days a week is enough to understand the need to make sure this investment is healthy. Two, social impact. Workplace dynamics shape how we perceive and engage with the world. Work molds our thinking, influences our outside relationships, and forms our social groups. Three, career and lifestyle impact. Our professional lives dictate our living, social systems, and even influence our broader beliefs. They dictate when and where we live, how and when we take vacation, and with whom we interact. They place us in certain social strata and give possibility for differing outcomes throughout our lives. Ultimately, our work provides us the ability to provide for ourselves and those around us. And finally, identity. For many, work defines their core identity, providing purpose, meaning, and direction in life. With such enormous influence, our work arguably makes us who we are and how others see us. Given all this, it seems immensely important that we make sure we are engaging in work that is healthy in every way possible. Anyone who's ever had a conflict with a coworker, manager, or even with the organization itself can probably understand how our mental health difficulties don't take place in a vacuum. Understanding context and comprehensive environmental factors that usually include interactions where we spend most of our waking hours is crucial. Our social interactions that often play out as frustration and anger are really just reactive emotions, emotions that are likely driving further problems within our organizations. It's a cascading effect constantly influencing corporate culture both up and down the ladder of hierarchy. So rather than attempting to tackle the problems through management trainings, DEI initiatives, or identifying problems as individual mental health issues, can we seek solutions by addressing organizational culture and interactions as we would in individual or group therapy? Well, TJ and I have had countless experiences where we feel a more therapeutic approach would be appropriate and likely offer a better outcome. 
Just as we would in a therapy setting, we ask our listeners to be open to self-awareness and to understand we all often make poor decisions and create problematic belief. Really, it's about being open-minded and open to change. We hope to provide a therapeutic roadmap led by not just managers, but also employees. We hope to empower rather than stigmatize or alienate. Sure, many of the leadership or management trainings you've taken and will take are necessary and positive steps for any organization. However, we aim to add to these trainings with a more clinical and human approach we felt has often been missing for most every organization, team, and leader we've ever encountered. We ask that you, our listener, engage with us by providing examples and thoughts about your problematic experiences you've encountered in your workplaces. Feel free to provide examples and we'll do our best to work through these situations the same we would if we were engaging in therapy. We feel this approach may allow better conceptualization of the problems and hence more effective solutions. We recognize it's difficult to interview those actively involved with these experiences in real time due to the inherent dangers of broadcasting their organizations or individual problems to the world. Therefore, we'll attempt to take on these challenges anecdotally, but we'll also engage in live conversations with those who may be willing and able to help our discussions. We hope you'll both listen and jump on our website to offer your input. So, Dustin, can we start by simply recognizing the impact our workplaces have on our lives? Because I think acknowledging this profound impact seems crucial both for us as individuals, but also the health of our organizations. If those impacts are negative, it's essential to identify and correct the underlying issues for healthier lives, families, and social groups. It also seems incredibly important to further the goals of our organizations to help us achieve greater efficiency, creativity, and fluidity for change throughout. However, like individual mental health, recognizing and correcting course is challenging. This podcast aims to uncover difficulties, understand the whys, and seek solutions for everyone. From CEOs to metaphorical widget makers, it's all about overall health, and the workplace seems like an ideal starting point. Can we also seek to analyze and potentially change corporate culture? Many organizations emphasize individual aspects of mental health. But what about corporate culture? What if we were more focused on corporate collective mental health? To do this as a collective issue where problematic thoughts and interactions persist, leaders, often holding significant influence, might misidentify problems, make assumptions, or stumble upon any number of problematic beliefs or thoughts that impact relationships and ultimately the bottom line. So ask yourself, listener. Have you ever felt that your workplace might not be the best environment for your mental health? Do you sense that your interactions with superiors or coworkers aren't always leading to the best outcomes for you, for your organization? Do conversations with superiors ever leave you feeling disempowered, dismissed, or unheard? Do you feel like unhealthy workplace interactions are having a negative impact on your motivation, productivity, and fulfillment? Are these interactions harming the company's bottom line? Do you find yourself wondering if company culture itself might be to blame? Well, you're not alone. Join us as we attempt to solve these challenges collectively, rather than casting individuals to exile for individual mental health problems. We'll dissect specific examples and break down the cognitive, behavioral, and emotional aspects of our interactions. We'll ponder, discuss, and seek solutions to cultivate a healthier work environment for ourselves while also enhancing output and efficiency in our organizations. Our goal? 
healthier outcomes, not just for individuals, but for the entire working group. So Dustin, let's discuss why you're so passionate about addressing mental health in the workplace. Well, you know, first of all, I think it's how and why we think the way we do is negatively impacting our social interactions and ultimately our business outcomes. The basics of psychology and the reasons we seek mental health help are greatly tied to this how we think. We're tied to decisions we make and beliefs we've developed no matter the evidence. I feel we need to move away from this or at least develop some greater self-awareness towards these biases, distortions, or whatever you want to call them. Therefore, our work-life interactions and thoughts seem a good place to begin. I say that because our work and beliefs surrounding work may be somewhat safer or easier to take on compared to such things as politics or religion. It's a good entry point. And I guess for me, I feel there's many things wrong with managing and leading in our contemporary lives. Most recently, and I mean in the last 15 years or so, I've worked in mental health. I'm a therapist working with therapists led by therapists. You'd think that these working environments and cultures would be some of the healthiest you can find. However, it's hardly been the case, at least as far as I'm concerned. I've had other experiences working in, you know, the hyper-stratified military as well as other industries, and they all have a huge problem I feel is being overlooked. It goes beyond leadership or management. It's about culture. It needs to be a culture developed and cultivated by both leadership and employees. It's social mental health. It isn't ostracizing someone or assuming you have empathy, so therefore you can regulate them and direct them to individual therapy where they can take care of their problems. You know, to me, it feels like this is a fluid problem of communication and understanding. Using the example of working in mental health, these people with years and years of education even have difficulties developing healthy culture and keeping their own employees mentally healthy. If this is the case, how does every other organization on the planet even have a chance? What are your thoughts towards it, TJ? I agree. I haven't held a job where I didn't encounter some effect on my own mental health. And it was the work. It was the interactions. It was how I felt I was being treated, how I was viewed, whether or not I felt valued. And I think as a leader, I've had a lot of opportunities to take like leadership trainings and, and different workshops, something they all seem to, to be missing, at least in my experience is that collective social health element. It, it seems very directive, as in, as a leader, it's your responsibility to give your employees the tools they need to do self-help, right? But what's my role as a leader? Is it just giving them that resource and saying, fix yourself? Or do I have maybe a responsibility to participate in improving those mental health outcomes for my team right. or for the people who report to me. And likewise, is there value to asking the employees to contribute to that process as well? A lot of those management trainings I've taken don't really seem to be a two-way proposition. It seems very much top-down. Sure. And so I, I really like how you're characterizing this approach as being collective and including the individual's the employees, the widget makers, you know, it, it takes all of us. It's not just leadership and it's not just employees. It's both. It is. Yeah, I really believe that. I feel I've been so frustrated by these environments. I think you have too. 
I think overall, as we go through, as you mentioned, management trainings, leadership trainings, we've all done these in different organizations. That's great. It's healthy. There's just so much more. I feel like, and this is a therapist and me talking too, but I feel like we need to start really breaking down these social interactions and finding health. And there's just, I hear it every day from friends, family, examples of problems they're having within their organizations. And it's just many of the same things that I would take on either in individual therapy or group therapy with people. And I've seen the great outcomes from, from doing mental health therapy. Uh, I've seen people identify not just their feelings or emotions, but their, you know, the beliefs that they've generated that might not be healthy, those arguable cognitive distortions that they're using to make decisions and are creating even more unhealthy outcomes and behaviors as they go forward. So I think that that's how we kind of need to take this on from now on. It's different. It's a different way. You know, I've heard lately as far as management leadership trainings go, a lot of, of emphasis on empathy and that sort of thing. But that's, that's just a starting point. You know, oftentimes as a therapist, I've told younger therapists that we often skip some of the most important things when you start therapy, which are when you start doing therapy with people, it's very, it's very difficult. You aren't sure which way to go. And you oftentimes skip things like being where the client is or being authentic. And I think the same thing happens in management or leadership. You skip those points of being authentic. You leave that out or you see yourself as something different because you have a title and you have this power and you're, you're not recognizing the power dynamic. When I look at someone in therapy, I'm trying to conceptualize, first and foremost, I'm trying to conceptualize all the things that might be having an impact on their life and their stated problem. I think the same happens in work that we need to conceptualize what's going on with these people. It's not just, you know, you're being lazy. I think that's for a leader to say, well, it's just because you're lazy. That's a lazy leader. <laughs> yeah. Because they're not really looking at what the underlying problems are, you know, or they're not aware that they hold this power, that they hold this place in that dynamic that is causing someone to be not necessarily very straightforward or open with them about what needs to happen in whatever that organization is or whatever they're selling. They're not truthful. I'll go even as far as to say, oftentimes we promote the people who are telling us what we want to hear. They're reinforcing our beliefs and our decisions rather than telling us what actually needs to happen to create a more efficient, better outcome. Yeah. That certainly has been my experience. Yeah. Overall. I think you really, you really hit a, a good point on the authenticity part of it. I've often said that I feel like some days I, I've left the office or I've come home from a job and felt like, you know, I spent all day kind of performing. I wasn't really me or, <laughs> or I've, interesting. I've had conversations with other friends and, and we've kind of agreed that there's, there's TJ at home and mm -hmm. then there's TJ at work. And those are oftentimes very different people. Why is that? I think it's, it goes back to what you said, right? The, the, the culture is encouraging or incentivizing me to play a part, hmm. to be acting. I'm wearing I'm wearing a mask of sorts that's, that's concealing my true self 
but it's projecting what I think the company wants or what sure. I think my boss wants or what, even what I think my, my employees want me right. to be. So when I hear that, that reminds me of, you know, regular individual mental health therapy. That's what I hear oftentimes when I'm sitting down with someone across from, they'll say the exact same thing. So not even in the context of not in the context of work at all. Just they're wearing a mask every day. They're, they're performing rather than being their genuine selves. And that seems super problematic to me for sure. Well, you know, if the goal is to be more empathetic and to have a, have a better understanding and awareness of, of how our decisions impact others and what the consequences are of how we're making decisions, then authenticity has to be part of that because otherwise whatever we're coming up with is just more of that same act Mm -hmm. and it's not real. Sure. And I, I would guess people can sense that deep down. I I certainly have sensed it Mm -hmm. in leaders I've had where they're saying the right things and within the context of our working relationship, it might be producing or, or motivating me to do something. But it's not real. At the end of the day, it's not authentic. So I think if we're going to move past the empathy and into the action stage, Mm -hmm. authenticity is where that has to start. Sure. We have to be authentic with ourselves and say, I'm going to attempt to be more like the TJ that just is Mm -hmm. versus the TJ who's just at work playing a role. Right. That makes me think of other things too, like that, that genuineness, that authenticity, I think creates, if you don't have that, you're lacking. I think of things like praising people who should be praised, you know, promoting people who should be promoted, understanding that because if you don't, what a cancer that creates within your work environment, I think that creates resentment that, you know, even when leaders, managers don't have an understanding of where their employees are coming from they tend to praise the wrong people and that's just continues. You know, I think of examples like, again, this is very anecdotal, but I feel like oftentimes managers, there are people that, that get a new job or get a new, you know, just task or something in their work environment or are placed with someone else and they work really hard for the first six months and then die away. And they're praised within that amount of time. What they don't understand is the person that's been there for say five years, 10 years, 20 years, who knows, has been grinding it out for a long, long time yet are watching this other newer person get praised. Well, they're getting praised because they haven't been through the gauntlet yet. They haven't been ground down yet. And I think that there's some understanding that needs to be had there. That's part of that empathy, but there's also part of that authenticity that needs to be had and an understanding of why this person is doing that. And again, I go back to the, you know, just being able to conceptualize why people are who they are, identifying their strengths. And I know the strength stuff is a big piece in leadership right now, the strengths finders, and we've all done it. And I don't know that a lot is taken from that. And I think that we need to hone our skills at better identifying what is best for our organizations. I don't know how else to put it. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing we're doing this podcast. We're having these discussions because there's so much to talk about in this realm. There's interactions every day. You've given me examples of bosses. They're probably making decisions based on their underlying thoughts of, you know, whether it's questions about their own self-esteem, are they good enough? Do they deserve the position they're in? Can they trust 
people around them? Are they seeking power and control? Do they feel they lack power and control? Right? These are very common distortions that we have as humans, not just as uh, leaders. And we need to identify that and change it in order to to make our best decisions and, and provide our best outcomes. I definitely agree. I can think of times in leadership positions where I've been that person. My insecurities, my issues of self-esteem and self-worth mm-hmm. are driving how I lead and oftentimes resulting in not great outcomes. Sure. And as a leader, I, I would think one would want to create an environment where people feel empowered to be their, their true authentic selves. Because isn't that individual authenticity that that person is bringing to their role mm-hmm. so much more than just that person making widgets or just performing a task yeah. to get it done? Like, I would want that on my team. I would want people to really bring their talent, their individual unique talent based on their experiences. I would want them to bring that. Right. Because I think that that's a tremendous value add to the organization is when people feel empowered to be more like themselves, their real selves. Yeah. As a leader, the question I'm asking myself is what kind of environment am I creating? Am I creating an environment where I'm rewarding people for being fake? Where I'm by promoting or praising those who are kind of playing the game? What message is that sending to the other people? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to determine how they how their career arc goes with my organization. Sure. So I, I'm trying to think of it through both lenses. Yeah. From positions I've had as the employee or, you know, the frontline person, but also as the leader. Yeah, absolutely. I, that two-way street of being open and honest and real, I think creates a better environment for people feeling comfortable and empowered to speak truth to power. Because that's really what you're getting at. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people, they bring those diverse strengths and talents, and we need to utilize those. And I think oftentimes it's being left out. We need to find a way to, to take advantage of that. You know, it's interesting too, as you, as you talk about this and talk about people's strengths or, or just the diversity of our, that we've had in coworkers and, and our subordinates or us as employees ourselves. I also feel like even HR, when you first come into companies, and I know we'll get into it more as we, as we discuss in further podcasts, but people bring so much to the table that is left off. We, we now seem to live in this culture, in this society that promotes you having a very specific skill set, a very compartmentalized way of thinking. Those people get very, very good at a very specific skill set. Unfortunately, it also feels like those are not the people you want leading a very diverse, broad organization. You want people that had developed skills that are very broad across industries, arguably, not just within the one thing that they do within mm-hmm. that you know single company. But those are the people being promoted and given more money. And I think we're living in a time where those broader experiences are just overlooked. And those are things, as I talk about HR, I think a lot of times they look for that specific person that has that skill set for that specific job. Unfortunately, there isn't a, a more open mind to identifying people that have maybe they're not 100% of that skill set, but they're at 
70%, but they've got a broader experience that's going to help them develop a much more different perspective than that company has had in whatever that skill is currently. Sure. So generalists aren't necessarily what HR is always looking for. You're arguing that perhaps they're overvaluing the specialist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Overlooking the generalist without thinking about what that generalist might bring right? in terms of diversity of thought. I'd even go further to say in our, you know, the greater society that there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of things that we have to make decisions on every day. And we have to have a basic understanding more than a basic understanding. We need a broader knowledge and the way things work right now, we're not being praised we're not being given the opportunity or, or forced into that broader understanding of lots of different things. And I think that we need, this is my own belief, but I think that we need to broaden that. We need to find a way for our organizations, for our greater culture to promote that rather than say, well, I want you to know how to do this specific thing very, 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 very well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happens in this is happening across every, every decision we're making in life, you know, about how we see people, how we're interpreting, how our politicians are, everything about that. So it's just a thought. I think it's a good thought. I do. And one of the things I wanted to address here also in this initial conversation we're having is, and I think it ties in well with what we've been talking about, the issue of feeling valued. Mm-hmm. So a title and a salary are only going to take me so far. There comes a point in every job I've had, no matter how high up the the ladder I've climbed, that that wasn't enough for me. Something was missing. And what I've diagnosed, looking back on it, is I just didn't feel valued. And there's a lot of ways that people can be devalued by a leader or a culture ignoring what makes me special, what makes me good at what I do. So when it comes to being a leader, we have to really be thinking about what message we're sending to people in terms of how we view them and in terms of their value and worth, because that has a direct impact on how they feel about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As we try to, I guess, discuss why we're doing this again. Yeah. That all comes into play. And it's just interesting that we're, we're at this point that we have to have this discussion, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm really looking forward to being able to really dig into this deeply because I think we're on to something. I've heard from from a lot of colleagues, friends, a lot of the same stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And this is stuff they'd never say at work or never have this conversation with someone at work because it's probably not in their interest to go there. Right. Yeah. But when they're at home and they're, they're a little bit closer to their, their true self, this is a recurring theme. Yeah. No matter where someone is in an organization. Yeah. And this is so impactful to our lives. As we started out this conversation talking about how our lives are so reliant on what our career is, how people see us, the money we make from it, it all comes into this and we need to make it as healthy as possible. And I think it's playing out in our greater society in a negative way. So hopefully we can come to some good conclusions and try to you know, use this format, use this perspective, use this. Again, I've kind of put into therapeutic terms because I'm a therapist, but utilizing that to really conceptualize what's going on and then start breaking it down and understanding 
trying to gain greater understanding so we can change those those beliefs, those decisions, those behaviors that we're having that are probably having a negative impact on us and, and all the people around us. I hope we have a chance to get more people involved and let's have some interactions on our blog and see where it goes. Yeah, we'd love to hear from our audience. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear some examples or whatever their thoughts or insights are. We'd love for you to be part of this conversation with us and we'll, we'll take what you send us and we'll see what we can do with it. If you've got insider input to this, don't hesitate to go to theslogpod.com and we'll check out your comments there. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on our next episode.